he's got not political, but he gives you a chance to believe shot. Give it a shot, and then we can all get rid of the mask, and we'll have a great summer. It'll be awesome. Um, before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out. Um, happy birthday, brother. Uh, I think there's an 85% chance you missed the plane so that you wouldn't be here right now because we'd be singing happy birthday to you, and I'm sure you'd enjoy that. So, happy birthday to you. Um, we are so lucky.
Trinity Church gave $2,825 to Laverne Christian Camp. And most of that was in uh, the period right after uh, kind of COVID broke and we realized there was not going to be a significant camp season. Uh, most of that money went towards keeping the camp afloat, um, which, uh, praise God, thank you uh, for everybody who gave that. But what we would like to do is for the remainder of the month of March, which we're, we're a little bit late on this one, so it might stretch over to April a little bit because there's only like two weeks left in March. But anything that comes in in March uh, that you designate to either camp or missions is going to go to Laverne Christian Camp. Um, you know, you're being faithful with your regular giving and you have a little bit left over and you want to give it to something, give it to the camp. Uh, you got some of that sweet, sweet stimulus money coming in, uh, you know, you want to put a little bit aside, give it to the camp. Praise God, sometimes you got income tax money coming back to you, give a little bit of it to the camp. You want to just like not go buy eight and a half dollar coffees for the rest of the month? Give the money to the camp, and then everything that comes in will go directly to the camp, um, and it will help sort of set the foundation for a ministry season until those camper dollars start rolling in. But everything that we give is not going to keep the camp rolling. It's going to actual ministry that is going to impact the lives of the kids. So um, I encourage you uh, all through the rest of March, whatever you give to the camp goes to the camp and is going to make a difference. So um, get together with you know yourself and with God and with your significant other and just pray and say, Lord, what, what can I do? What would you have me do? And then do it. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for each and every one who's joining us here in the house. We thank you for each and every one who's joining us online. And we just pray, Father, that you would come and you would bless this time, that uh, your word would be shared in, in music, in song, in message, uh, in the worship of friends. And I just pray, Father, that anyone who's gathered here this morning um, in real life, virtually, that our lives would be impacted and changed because of taking this
this opportunity to come here on the Sundays and, and praise you and worship you, to share your love that you have shown to us with others. We look around at our, our fellow people in this congregation and, and we share that, that community, that sense of love with them. Lord, you are the source of love in life. It said in the scripture, God is love. You're the force of that love that surrounds us. That is the teaching that you want to show us throughout our ministry. Develop that love, that friendship, that, that deep commitment to each other and to you. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come to you humble because we know we're not perfect. We're still striving. We're still working. us to get better each and every day. Thank you. Thank you so much for that love and for being love. In Jesus' name. You know, I, I'm looking out and I can sort of remember when like the body count right now was like a good Sunday. Like way back in, in the pre-days of Christ Community Church, way back early on when we were still like little and like we would have looked at this many bodies in this place and gone, wow, we're like packing them in this morning. So amen. Amen for all you guys who showed up. Amen for everybody who's coming in online. Everybody who's coming in online like next Tuesday. It's weird. It's like time travel-ish but without all the paradoxes. So you don't have to worry about blinking yourself out of existence by doing something dumb. All right, let's just, let's just roll on from all that. Uh, we are continuing in uh, the book of Mark. We are in chapter 10, and um, we, have some, we have some inner group dynamics at play this morning. Uh, picking up the journey in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, him being Jesus, and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, yeah, or we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I'm thinking it's 
It's a beautiful day. It's sunny, probably warm. And they're walking. They're, you know, they're progressing in their journey to get to Jerusalem when Jesus' final days come to account. So they're just walking and walking and walking. And, um, you know, they're doing like, like, I assume, even before cars, even when they were walking, there was a walking version of Are We There Yet? So I got, I, this is what's going on. And at this moment in their journey, you know, they're kind of broken off. And, you know, these two are wandering over there and those two are over there and Four of them are over here doing something, picking daisies, I don't know, whatever they do. Um, James and John are kind of, they're walking along. And Jesus is kind of out front. Jesus is doing his own thing. Jesus is being Jesus. Jesus is enjoying his time with God and nature. And he's like, <laughs> I remember when I made that tree. That was really cool. And so he's just walking along. And then he hears it. He, he can hear them behind him. You know as one does with children. Go, go ask him. I'm not going to ask him. You go ask him. Now, you, you're older. Go ask him. He's like, all right, I'll ask, but you have to come with me. And so, you know, he's, he's just waiting for whatever catastrophe is about to happen. And James and John roll up on him, as children do. You know, they have that sort of, kids have a way of coming at you when they want something that's completely different from when they come at you all the rest of their lives. So they, hi, Jesus. This is a nice day, and um, how are you? And your, your hair looks nice today. Um, can, um, can you do something for us? Jesus is smart enough to go, I, I commit to nothing until I have full details, gentlemen. Okay, we were just thinking, well, it was more his idea, but we were thinking it would be really cool if, you know, when you come into your glory, it would be, we're like thinking, you know, you're going to have like this really cool, like throne room, probably, right? And a throne room, got to have a throne or it's just room. Um, so you're going to have this throne in your throne room, and that's where you're going to sit because, you know, you're Jesus, so you're going to sit on the throne. But we were thinking, like, it would be cool if you put, like, another you know, not-as-nice throne over here and then another not-as-nice throne, but if that's where I sit nicer than that one, throne over here and then... And then you'll sit up here in the big one, and we'll sit in these two. And wouldn't, wouldn't that be cool? What do you, you think, right? Wouldn't that be a good idea? And Jesus is just, he's getting a headache. He can already see where this is going. He can already see what is about to happen here. But Jesus takes this seriously, and he's like, you, you understand what's about to happen, right? You, you, you know, I've, I've told you, I've told you at least three times, at least three times, because you have to say everything at least three times when dealing with children. I've told you at least three times what's going to happen when we get to Jerusalem. Do you honestly think you can drink of my cup and receive my baptism? 
You see, in the Old Testament, there are repeated references to the cup of God's wrath. This is, this is the metaphor for God's anger and judgment on sinful mankind. This is the cup Jesus is talking about when he says, Father, let this cup pass for me in the garden. This is the cup he doesn't want to drink from. And so he's asking these two numbskulls, beloved children, do you really think you can drink of this cup? And furthermore, baptism. You know, we think of baptism as like this warm and fuzzy, and you know, we have the big jacuzzi up here, and it's nice and warm, and we come down, and you know, we say the prayer, and we get dipped, and it's nice. It's a nice thing, and like we come up out of the water, and we're fresh and new, and people cheer, and it's nice, and Karen's getting pictures and video, because you know, that's what Karen's going to do. And, and it's, it's nice. But, but baptism is, is a Greek word. It means to be immersed. It means to be overwhelmed. The, the, the baptism we think about is not what Jesus is talking about. He's like, not only do I have to drink from the cup of God's wrath, but I am going to be immersed and overwhelmed by a physical torment I cannot even begin to describe to you. Do you truly believe you can partake of this cup and this baptism? Yes. You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? No. But it sounds good. And already, you know, it's clear they don't really understand what's going to happen. They may have come to the point where they all get, okay, we're going to get to Jerusalem, and Jesus is going to die. Okay, all right, it's still weird, but okay, Jesus is going to die, but he's going to be raised again, and that's when he's going to take over, and that's when he's going to set up his kingdom, and that's when he's going to have the really cool throne in the throne room with our throne chairs. Because somehow in their minds, Jesus dies and is resurrected, and that's when he sets up an earthly kingdom, and they want to know when he sets up the earthly kingdom, there's some sweet spots waiting for them. And Jesus is like, well, um, the good news is, yes, you can uh, drink of my cup and my baptism because you're both going to go through some stuff. Uh, and it's not the kind of stuff you're thinking. But God will bless you, um, but there's not really any throne chairs involved. So there's that. Uh, and either way, I don't get to decide who sits in the really sweet flanking throne chairs. Uh, you see, Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are three in one and the whole Trinity thing. But even within the Trinity, there are different areas of authority. And so Jesus, part of the Trinity, fully God, but there's certain things that just aren't his area. That's not my thing. That's not really my, my area. I don't get to decide the CD chart. Sorry. Uh, you know, also, I don't get to know the date or time of the second coming. Uh, not in my wheelhouse. That's all dad's thing. Uh, you want to talk timing and seating charts, you got to go talk to him because he's the one that decides. Sorry. And that's, that's when Jesus hears it. The feet. The unified, storming, thundering herd of the children 
who have now heard the other children who have gone to mom and dad about something, and they want their fair share. Whoa, 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 whoa. I want to be in on this too. And they are mad. They are upset. They are indignant. And you know how children get when they get indignant. And it's just the funniest thing in the world. But Jesus has taken this seriously. You see, there are dynamics at work here. We have already know there's already been at least one. No, we weren't arguing. We were talking. So there's already been one talk amongst the kids about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And apparently, uh, they did not come to any sort of real agreement, which is why James and John seem to think they are ripe candidates for the position. Already in the group, in the dynamics, there's a division there. You see, on the one hand, Jesus has numerous followers. He has this entire body of followers, of disciples. Uh, we know that shortly after Jesus sends out the 12 to go and kind of do their thing, kind of test run, he then sends out another group later of like 72 to go do the same thing. So Jesus has numerous disciples but, you know, we're, we're the 12. We're the A team, if you will. Dun, 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 dun. So, you know, they're feeling their oats. They're kind of full of themselves. They're like, yeah, Jesus got a lot of disciples, but, uh, you know, we're the 12. But then, conversely, in the 12, there's the three, James and John and Peter. These are like the top tier, the top shelf. These are the three that Jesus takes everywhere and does everything with. When Jesus goes and resurrects the, uh, the synagogue leader's daughter, these are the three that he brings with him. When Jesus goes up the mountain for the transfiguration, these are the three he brings with him. These are the three that Jesus is really sort of pouring himself into. And so, yes, they may be the 12, but there's a distinction that somehow these three are just a little bit more than the rest. And I got to imagine that that creates a certain tension in the group. And now, now, out of the three, one of them is, well, you know, Jesus only has like two sides, and uh, there's not really a place for a third chair. So, Peter, um, there's a puddle over there. Why don't you go see if you can walk on that? We got to talk business with Jesus. And so, all of a sudden, even Peter's out of the big circle. So now they're fighting, they're arguing, I'm better than you, no, you're better than me, no, shut up, you're like, you know what, thousand years down the road, nobody's even going to remember your name, because they're going to think that, that Luke and Mark were disciples, and they won't even remember you were one of the twelve, because they'll replace you with guys that weren't even here. And Jesus is like, okay, 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 okay stop, 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 stop speaking. And he's, he's doing this. He's got his finger, the universal sign of mental distress and anguish. Or I'm reading your mind. 
one, one of the two. That's what this means. He's, he's like, again, you misunderstand my kingdom. See, you're, you're thinking about position and status the way the world does. And that's not how it works in my kingdom. You've seen how it works with the Romans. You know what it was like when they came into Jerusalem and they sort of set up camp and they said, look, we're better than you. We're smarter than you. We're more powerful than you. We run the show now. We'll allow you to remain here. Just don't irritate us. And it was literally, literally a don't irritate us policy. If you irritate us, we have these cool, funky things called crucifixes, and we will be happy to demonstrate how those work. So go play amongst yourselves. Leave us alone. And Jesus says, you've seen how that kind of worldly leadership works. You've seen what it means to have a difference between the haves and the have-nots. You've seen what it means to have a difference between the somebodies and the nobodies. You know the difference between the powerless and the powerful. That's the world's kingdom. That's not mine. And again, you just see the blank stare, the deer in the headlight like, I have no idea what he's talking about again. And Jesus is like, let me break it down for you. If you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, you get there by being the least. See, the greatest in my kingdom, the greatest status you could have is to be a servant, to be the lowliest, to place yourself at the bottom beneath everyone else. And they hear the words. And they know that words mean things, but they can't quite sync up what he's saying with the reality they've experienced. Later on, in the book of Philippians, Paul will go on to expound on this and break it down a little bit more. Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's kind of the core of what Jesus is talking about. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was a form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. See, this is one of the core tenets of Christianity that the world and that the church, I think, 
too often tend to misunderstand. See, we understand the weakness and the meekness. But what did Paul just say? This is something you take for yourself. It is not something, something that's inflicted upon you. See, the world looks at the Christian who is willing to make themselves a servant to others, the Christian who's willing to be meek and mild and humble, and they see that as weakness. And too often, I think we have this idea in the church, or at least in many of us, many of us have this idea in us that predated our time with Jesus, that I, I have to be less. I have to be a servant. I have to be least. But that's okay because I am least. Because, you know, I'm not, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not successful enough. I don't have enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. See, that's not what Jesus calls us to. Jesus says, you have to take on this weakness. You have to take on this humility because you have to first grasp the idea that you have immeasurable value and worth. You are an adopted son or daughter of God Almighty. What greater value could you have? You are an adopted child of God. Nothing changes that. You, you are a life that was saved, that was redeemed by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. What greater value could be placed on you as an individual? And that kind of value means there is nothing you can say or not say to be worth more. There is nothing you can say or not say, nothing you can do or not do that makes you less. And it's when you grasp the true value you have, your value that transcends the world around us, that you can then say, I can do anything. I can do the most menial, trivial thing in the world because it doesn't change who and what I am. I can lay down my pride. I can lay down my ego. I can lay down other people's opinions of me because my value in God's eyes cannot be changed. I can choose to be the least because God has already loved me the most. God has already loved you the most. There is nothing you can't do. There is nothing that you can engage in on God's behalf that makes you less except choosing to be less. And so so Jesus, in the coming days, will try to demonstrate for his guys. He's like, okay, uh, 
uh, no, haven't, haven't invented the crayons yet. I'm going to have to act this out. Um, so, okay, they'll get it when I actually die for them, but let's try a middle ground here. And there will come a point somewhere down the road here in the not-too-distant future, they'll be sitting down for dinner, and it was custom to have your feet washed before dinner. See, they used to, you know, they walked everywhere on dirt roads in sandals and, you know, had dirty feet. And apparently you couldn't bring, I'm not clear, you couldn't bring dirty feet to the dinner table because you ate with your toes. I don't know, but you just, dirty feet and dinner didn't go together. So there would be a servant, generally the least of the least, like the least and lowest servant would wash feet. Even with servants, there's a hierarchy. Even with servants and slaves, there's a greatest and a least. On this end, you've got the guy that sort of runs the master's house. I run everything. Ooh, I so badly want to start making Downton Abbey references here, but mm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resist. You got the guy, I run the house, I am in charge of everything, nothing happens around here without me. And on the other end, you've got foot washer. That's your deal, you are foot washer. That's your whole, that's your existence, you wash people's stinky feet. Um, and so Jesus will come to dinner and he'll gather up the bowl and he'll gather up the towels and he'll sit down and he'll start washing their feet. And they know, wait a minute, this, this is not your job. This is a servant's job. This is not a job for Jesus. And Jesus is going, do, do you get it? Do you get what it means to be able to make yourself least and not be minimized and not be reduced in value in the process? This is what God calls us to, to make ourselves least, to make ourselves servants of others, to, to become the kind of people who can think of other people first, who can think of their welfare, who can think of their benefit, and be the kind of people who even when their benefit runs counter to my benefit, I can still act on their behalf and give up my wants, my needs, my desires because those all mean nothing compared to service to my God and my King and my Father. Jesus is going to break it down. He, he tells us in Matthew, here's what it looks like. And for the record, let me just... Um, hot button topic? Maybe not a hot button topic. I'll tell you right now. I... Personally, do not get on board with churches having foot washing services. <laughs> Folks, it's weird. It's just weird, and it should never be done. Now, I will agree, it's biblical, but it had a context. It had a cultural context to it. It was a thing they did. They were in the habit of washing feet. Not a habit I am, you know, in the habit of. I sort of, you know, I wear shoes. I wear socks. My feet still relatively clean, and when they're not, 
I am perfectly capable of washing my own feet. I do not need to get up in the morning, shower, wash my feet really good, engage in a 20-minute process of foot hygiene to then put on socks, put on shoes, and come to church, take off the shoes, take off the socks, so somebody else can mess with my feet during church. No. Let that be the end of that. But in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is sharing a parable, the goats and the sheep. Then the king, that is to say Jesus, will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. These are the ones, these are the, these are the sheep. These are the true and faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the ones who have, who have lived the life they've called them to live. They have lived a life of humility and service and righteousness and goodness. They have lived a life devoted to loving God and loving other people. These are the ones who are about to inherit the kingdom of heaven. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You did all these things. And then the righteous, the ones God has just said, you did all these things for me. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. See, they have so become the kind of people who just naturally do for others that this service to others does not stick in their minds. They can think of no distinct moment when they did these things because it was just the natural course and outflow of their lives. It was so matter-of-fact thing to do to serve other people, to take care of other people, to look after other people, that it doesn't register as a great moment in their lives. That's who Jesus is calling us to be. And as we start to become these kind of people, initially, it requires effort. It requires us to stop and think about it. It requires mental dedication to say, first thing in the morning, today, I am the kind of person who serves other people. I am going to go out this day and serve others. And we know for what you, you can't, it's not like you take the day off and you just go roam the streets going, how many I serve you? How many I serve you? I'll have a Whopper and a Big Mac. Not that kind of service. In order to be one who serves other people, you have to do it in the context God has put you in. That means you get up and you serve your family. That means you get up and you go to work and you serve the people you work with. That means you get up and you go to work and you serve 
guy. Because every one of us in a work environment has a that guy. And who's that guy? That's the guy I don't want to serve. That's probably a good place to start. And so initially, we have to set our mind to it. We have to say, God, I am going to be the kind of person who serves other people today. Please help me. And maybe that means at the end of our day, we look back, we do a little review, and we go, you know, I, I did a pretty good job. I helped, I helped out old so-and-so over there. I helped out so-and-so over there. And, ah, uh, Lord, I should have helped that guy, and I didn't. Um, oh, Lord, I totally missed that opportunity to help that guy over there. But it's a start. I mean, we can't mentally dedicate ourselves to the proposition that we are going to be leased for the rest of our lives because mental effort only gets you so far. An effort of will can only last so long before it breaks down. But it's a place to start, and with God's help, he starts to transform us. He starts to reshape us. We're like Plato, and he starts to just shape us into the kind of person who can be a servant to all people. We can become the kind of person who wakes up and goes, you know what, in this family of five, everybody hates cleaning the bathroom. So I'm going to clean the bathroom. We can be that kind of person who goes to the work and goes, yikes. The refrigerator in the break room is disgusting. Somebody should, Lord, uh, I'm going to go ahead and take 15 minutes from my break, and I'm going to clean the break room refrigerator. Anybody ever work in, in food service? There's a thing in, in food service called a grease trap. Mm -hmm. Boy, that right there will put you together with Jesus, because Jesus is the only one that can get you to go clean the grease trap voluntarily. But we start to take on these things, and we start to serve, and we realize in that service, the service makes me stronger. The service, and, and I feel greater. I mean, it doesn't make me a better person than everyone else, but I feel like I've done something for God. I haven't just cleaned the bathroom. I've cleaned the bathroom for God, and I, and I served other people doing it. And I blessed other people. And I gave them a brief glimpse of God in cleaning the bathroom so they wouldn't have to. I shared the blessing of God by cleaning the refrigerator so somebody else wouldn't have to. And as you sit here this morning, as you watch online, you can think of instances in your own life where you're like, I could do this onerous task to save anybody else from doing it, and that would be my devotion to God to do it and my way to bless others. And my way to make myself a little more less. And there comes a point when your efforts are no longer about pursuing a greatest status. Well, you know what? Only like 40 more years of debasing myself and putting myself last. But I think I am solidly in the running to be the greatest in heaven. If your focus is on becoming greatest you're probably doing this wrong. See, your focus becomes on just loving God, loving people, 
not thinking more highly of myself. Elevating others. Putting their good, their well-being before my own. And you start to realize that's okay. That's a better way of life. And you start to realize I am blessed in blessing others. This is the kind of people God has called us to be. This is the kind of people God has called you to be. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you are expected to be a servant of everybody. Everybody, including that guy. All the time, including when you don't want to. And in that service to others, you feel and you become and you express the love of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day, and I just pray, Father, I just pray your word goes where it needs to go, does what it needs to do, that somebody be blessed, and that in receiving that blessing, they can then go on and bless someone else. Father, I just ask that as we leave this place, leave this time, we will be different people simply because we met with you here this morning. I pray, Father, for a renewed encouragement, a renewed spirit in each one of us, Father. Help us to be faithful to the core tenet of the kingdom and of Christ Community Church, that we should be people who love God and love people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to sing this one last song, and then uh, we will close out with a video, um, which for those online, it's probably one of those things. There's probably a link somewhere. The video shuts down. You can go to the link, finish watching the video. Um, probably in the next couple weeks, you'll see emails, because it's going to be coming up time for Claire House again opportunity to serve others and don't forget through the remainder of march uh, anything you give label it missions label it camp and it will go to do a great and mighty thing at laverne griffin camp